You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin by calling in the spirits here today. We have quite a, a hearty task before us today, and we're asking for help. We're asking for the ancestors to join round us, those who bring all that is good and true and beautiful into our lines, that bring us the lineage of those humans that have gone before us who lived well and died well and understood through their actions and their experience in life what right relationship is with the spirit world, with the physical environment, and with other living beings around them. So we call out in particular to these ancestors all the way back to the first people to come and help us, the living, to sort it all out once again. I'm sure these answers were here present once before or twice or three times or many times and we're asking once again to please help us understand what is right relationship with the spirit world and how can we be in this relationship in a way that is beneficial to all living things. And so we call out to those ancestors who can help us to gather around and hold us well here today. And with the ancestors gathered round, let us send our energy down into that most ancient and absolutely essential ancestor, the earth. And we give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that brought life as we know it to the face of this beautiful planet. Let us remember it is a small planet and it is all connected. Everything affects everything. And let us grow up to what that responsibility truly is. So we ask the earth to help us with that responsibility, to help us to understand the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form in a good way. We give thanks to the earth for grounding and connection and belonging, for interconnection and the great connection of life, that great web of life. And we give thanks to her for this miracle that is the life we are all sharing. Thanks for the beauty of this day and the possibility that it holds. So with our feet firmly planted in the earth and the ancestors gathered round, let us reach up all the way into the high, high reaches of the sky, all the way from our heart and our mind out through the sky above you, through the atmosphere, out into the cosmos, reaching all the way to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name you know that power to call it down, to bring into yourself, to bring into your day and to bring into our proceedings here, generosity, to bring in blessings, to bring in protection that we may become vulnerable enough to hear what needs to be heard and to say what needs to be spoken. So we call out to those energies above and we draw them down into ourselves and into our circle and bring the energy of the sky all the way to the energy of the earth and let these energies merge and dance within us to come into the exact perfect balance for us here today that we might know this great Taoistic relationship from which all life as we understand it is born into this physical world. And with our awareness within, let's call out to the power of the heart, that crazy, strange crucible that has that ability to draw up the fiery passions of the belly without dampening them at all, and also to bring in the crystal clear clarity of the mind, the inspiration and the understanding, to bring those energies in and to let them merge together in the heart, that somewhere in that 
dance, we might find why we are here. What it is that we have come into this life to do and in our heart then find the courage to live it. So with the heart awakened within each one of us, the ancestors gathered round, the spirits with us. I give thanks to you all for joining us here today. May what needs to be heard be heard and what needs to be spoken be spoken in a way that is good for all living things. I want to thank Frank and Jennifer and all the other listeners who have donated to keep the show on the air. It is free for those who can get access to a computer, and that is a beautiful thing. But for that to happen, we also need support. And so for those of you that feel inspired or even irritated by the show here today, if you are moved in any way, we have done our job here today. And I ask you to do the essence of shamanism, which is when you are moved by in the heart, allow yourself to be moved into action. Do something that helps the show to grow. Send a question, connect the show with a friend, go to whyshamanismnow.com to the support section and click on it and donate donate any amount of money, large or small, every single dollar or whatever uh, currency you offer. Go straight to keeping the show on the air and we appreciate every single bit of it, no matter how humble or grand. So thank you all for helping and um, let's keep the show strong and vital and a presence out in the world today. So, without further ado, I would like to give thanks um, for our guest here today, Stephen Bear. Hello, Stephen. Welcome. Uh, hi. I'm happy to be here. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, I'm very excited. We always we always seem to get to the topic of today's show, and then we run out of time. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm excited to talk about it specifically here today. For those of you that don't know, Stephen is the author of Singing to the Plants, and there is an archived show specifically about that book. But why stop at the show? Go out and buy the book. It's fabulous. <laughs> you can well, find thank it everywhere. You. Yeah. Um, and uh, Stephen's website is also singingtotheplants.com. And there are marvelous blogs and articles and, I don't know, writing for the last 100 years or something <laughs> about shamanism. <laughs> but they're very interesting. And I, I can get lost for days on that site. So thank you, Stephen, for putting that up there for us all to ponder. You're so very singing- welcome. Yeah, Singing to the Plants is about mestizo shamanism in the upper Amazon for the most part and the use of sacred plants. And we're going to talk specifically about that today. And um, other than the fact that I really enjoy having Stephen on the show and I always am looking for an excuse to do that, the reason that I invited Steve is because he has had experience with many different sacred plants and, and that we can speak about this relationship with the spirits from um, a broad uh, experience, not just a particular experience within one particular culture's version of shamanism. And that's what I was looking for as a way to talk about this in a broader sense. Um, oh, and just go read Stephen's bio for all of the other amazing things that he's done. <laughs> what, what I really like about this, everybody, is that what Stephen does is he actually goes and does it until it's done. And that willingness to go live something and then write and speak from that place of the full experience versus the more typical sort of academic intellectual, I'm going to go observe this, but I'm going to be very careful to not go native. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's very, very kind of you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You're, You're kind of the master of going native and coming back and then explaining to us all what actually happened. Um, or at least trying to uh, tell you how I'm trying to figure out how I'm trying to understand. 
what my own experiences and and my way of understanding may be different from from other people what what I think we all need is as many perspectives as possible um and uh i was um um just a few minutes ago, I was answering some uh, Facebook messages, and I'm on the, the shamanism group uh, in Facebook, and, and somebody asked me, what do you find there that, that you like? And I, I said, I, I just enjoy being around so many interesting people with so many different ideas on so many different paths, all of whom support each other. And uh, I, I think that kind of interchange, like you have on your show, um, is immensely valuable because we need as many perspectives as, as possible. So I, I try to bring in some psychology, some anthropology, and, and try to understand based on my, what I have been taught and how I have tried to think through what I have been taught and apply it in my own life or whatever good that may do anybody else. Well, thank you. So speaking of interchange, everybody, we are live today and in person. So you're invited to call in if you'd like at 512-772-1938. Or if you're listening through the co-creatornetwork.com site, you can just click the Skype button. Or you can, of course, email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. So today, ladies and gentlemen, we are discussing the spirits as teachers, and this this basic idea that um, we keep coming back around to is I, I fully believe the spirits are actually indulging our questions, but ultimately trying to teach us to be better humans. And I think us being better humans matters. And I think it matters in ways we don't quite yet grasp. And I, I think that that's what the spirits are trying to wake us up to. But anyway... Um, so today we're discussing the spirits as teachers, and this this matters deeply, actually, to both of us. Um, but it's really challenging to talk about because I'm not sure um, that I understand it all, but I know I feel it. So we're going to forge ahead, nonetheless, even though we're not exactly sure what all the answers are, and we're going to talk about working with the spirits, the use, the abuse of spirits as teachers. Um, and perhaps a good jump, jumping off place would be there's a quote. I've actually lost track of where it was that you wrote this, Stephen. But you said that the spirits want you to be a human being in right relationship with all persons, both human and other than human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you must have been inspired by something to write that. Well, when it, it goes back to my, my initial interest, which, which um, I think I've told you on this show before, came from an interest in wilderness survival. And um, I was trained in desert and, and mountain and jungle survival, and it was through my interest in jungle survival that I was first introduced to the shamanism of the upper Amazon. Because I became really interested in the ways in which indigenous people in both North and South America survived and even prospered in a wilderness where where I had to be trained to survive, and they happily raised barefoot babies. Um, and I began to understand that um, there was a significant spiritual component to their survival, to their prospering in, in the wilderness. Um, 
And this spiritual component to their being at home in the wilderness in a way that I was not um, had to do with being in right relationship both within the group and in the extended group, which included all of these other than human persons, the animals, the plants, the trees, the stars, the thunder, all of whom were in some sense persons with intentions and volitions and awareness that you needed to be in right relationship with. And that was where I first started formulating this idea that when you speak about an indigenous spirituality, what it consists of primarily is a, a, a series of ways in which you can be in right relationship with all of the persons in your universe, um, the people in your village and the, the other-than-human beings, the spirits who are part of the life of an indigenous people. I'm thinking about um, one of the Inuit um, healings that gets described a lot, which was basically no hunting, no animals. Hunting's happening, no animals are being killed, so people are starving Mm because, you know, you're up on the ice and you're not growing crops, right? So the shaman has to go down to Sedna at the bottom of the sea, who's the mistress of all the animals, and convince her to allow her children to be killed. And there's this long and involved process that always comes back around to the same solution, which is that the human beings in their transgressions of each other have made themselves unworthy for her children to sacrifice their lives to these people. And so this whole moral and ethical structure inside the human relationship was sort of based on behaving in, in, in an honorable way so that you were worthy of these other honorable beings giving up their lives so that you could survive. I think that's a wonderful example. Um, and, and then yeah. the problem is, though, in everything I read about that, then these psychologists would say, but we don't need to consider that any longer because we're so civilized. <laughs> like, um, excuse me? <laughs> I mean, I think we need to consider that even more so today. I, I think that's exactly right. And um, the, the Levi Strauss, the French anthropologist, was once asked to define myth. And he said, a myth is a story about the time when humans and animals spoke the same language. And I think that in, in many cultures, there, there are myths of a primordial time when there was a sort of harmony because everyone spoke the same language. And I think that's what we need more than ever now, is, is to somehow speak the same language with each other, um, to, to find a way in which we can tell our stories to each other and to the spirits. And in a way, telling your story to the spirits is is what is meant by praying to the spirits. It's telling them your story. And then listening devoutly to what they have to say in response. And this is really important because I think there is a lot of misinterpretation when we 
start talking about what the spirits want, this sort of brains go to this idea of hungry ghosts, that somehow they need to be fed something illicit or something instead of what you've just said, which is this, this honest outpouring of the story, mm-hmm. this, this authenticity to, and, and that's one of the primary things that I see out of shamanism in general is that if we're really practicing it, practicing it it's asking us constantly to become more and more authentic mm-hmm. and honest and, and, and that has an emotional component to tell, I mean, a good story <laughs> it takes a long time to tell and it, and it, it draws the, it, it comes from a place of true emotional truth as well. Yeah, and it, and, I, it, I, and mm-hmm. it brings that up in others. And that's what, I mean, you're not just saying, tell a simplistic story that makes you look good. <laughs> oh, here's but an tell experiment. A, a real try. story. Let, let me, here's an experiment you can try. Um, um, go out and, and find a tree that you haven't met before. Um, and if you live in a park or, or near the wilderness, you can, you can go find a tree you haven't met. And put your hand on the tree's trunk and start telling that tree how important you are. <laughs> and, and, you know, take as much time as you want and tell, tell, tell the tree how smart you are and, and what a good job you have and how much money you make and, and you know, um, what a nice car you have and how many people are deferential to you. And tell that all to the tree and see if the tree cares. Um, and I think that's very similar to what you were just saying, because the tree doesn't care how important you are. The tree cares about whether you have a good heart. The tree wants to know what you feel and what you need. That's, that's the level on which the tree wants to communicate with you. And if you're telling the tree all of these facts about how important you are, the tree isn't interested. I think that when we talk about stories, stories have three components. They are about facts and feelings and needs. And most of the time when we tell stories to each other, or we're praying to the spirit, or we're talking to a tree, we focus on facts because facts are comfortable. And as a matter of fact, people who are in conflict will spend years arguing about what the facts are, when in fact, those facts are the least important part of their stories. What are important are their feelings and their needs. But we have been taught from the time we are young in our culture that you might be considered to be bad or wrong or crazy for feeling the feelings that you really feel or for needing the things that you really need. And yet it's exactly on that level that we communicate with each other and we communicate with the spirits. Because what the spirits want to hear is not the facts about ourselves or the facts about our situation or the demands we want to place on them. What they want to know is what we feel, what we need, what we regret, what we fear, what we're grieving for. Um, That's the level on which... All persons, human persons and other than human persons, need to communicate with each other. And I think when we talk about weeping for a vision, that's what we're talking about. 
And I think the thing that we forget culturally is that's the place that we're alive. That's, that's, that's speaking from life because when we're talking about facts, you know, Taoistically at least, we're already dead. We've done it. Mm-hmm. It's done. It's dead. And we're not talking about life anymore, which is why the spirits are kind of bored by that. Mm-hmm. But to talk about these things we're unresolved about and we're churning about and we have needs and feelings and there's, there's stuff happening there and it's interesting and it's alive and it, it, isn't, it isn't birthed yet maybe. And th- there's interest in that. And I think that we gather so much dead wood in our culture in this sense that we forget that our arms are filled with things that aren't going to matter when we die at all. Mm-hmm. I think so I'm going right. to quote you again. So at some <laughs> point somewhere, you said, uh, you cannot be a day tripper in the realm of spirits. Every approach you make to the spirit entails reciprocal obligations. What those obligations are is a matter between you and the spirits. But at the very least, they require gratitude and humility. Because it mm-hmm. seems to me, in talking about stories this way, you're really talking about how we en- really enter that realm. And you continued saying, you cannot just go to the spirits and expect them to give you what you want. They may well have other plans for you. <laughs> in, <laughs> in fact, rather than asking, or as some people do, demanding uh, that they heal you or transform you or make you into someone else, just pour out your heart to them in prayer. Do not go to them with requests or demands or even expectations. Tell them what you need. Tell them what you fear. Tell them what you regret. Speak to them honestly from your heart and then listen to their response devoutly from your heart. So what do you think the plants are trying to teach us? I think they're trying to teach us to be um, better humans. I I think the plants want us to be back in that mythic realm where we all spoke the same language. Um, I think I think the plants love us. I, I don't know why we haven't done anything much, at least lately, to deserve that, but I think they do love us, and they want us to be who we are. They enjoy our music. They love music. Um... Why else would the spirits, as one of their gifts to us, give us the songs they want us to sing to them? Um, it's, um, they, they like to see us living in harmony. They like us to be in, in right relationship because there, there is the mythic time when all beings were in harmony that was broken somehow. And they, like we, want somehow to go back to that time. Um, I think that um, uh, they—they're. I'm, I'm having trouble articulating this. I'm usually much more articulate than this. Um, I—I think basically um, they want us uh, to stop being afraid. And um, they want us to walk upright, courageously, through the world with them. You know, this is making me think of this um, really profound experience that I had when I was very early into shamanism. 
um, I was at a big workshop, so a lot of people there, and we were um, really working on a woman's sort of the equivalent of a shamanic um, dissertation. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, and she was exploring ancient rituals of her own ancestry, which was Norse ancestry. She was, you know, from Denmark. And um, it was a, a ritual to bring in the goddess Freya. It, who would come in to, in this particular ritual and enter the shaman and then just speak as an oracle as the community would ask questions. And so we did this. And, and unfortunately, we didn't exactly know how to properly ask her to leave when we were done. And so she hung around throughout this whole training, <laughs> spontaneously uh, jumping into people and giving us messages about what we weren't doing right. But, but the main thing, the point of this story that was really profound is her primary message began. Where have you been? Ah, all right. Without you, I cannot do what I have come here to do. I was dumbstruck as this, you know, early shaman who'd barely learned, you know, that, and I, that's when I really got right at the beginning that this is an interdependent relationship. I don't know what it is they get from essentially working with us, being with, connecting with us, but there's something that allows them to do, oh, I, don't, I only know human words for this, and I'm sure they're totally inappropriate for a goddess, but her destiny. It's like she couldn't do her thing without us communicating with her and allowing her thing, whatever that is, to move through us. And, and that we needed her to figure out how to do our thing, but that it was truly interdependent and that, that this beginning when we finally reconnected with her, because no one's been talking to her for, you know, hundreds of years, you know, it's like, where have you been? <laughs> it's like waiting for the date that never came. I mean, she's like, people, where have you been? I cannot manifest as a goddess, for goodness sakes, if you do not come to talk to me. And I just, I, it blew my mind. It's, the relationship is a really interesting one. And uh, they're, they're, the shaman's relationship to the, the plants and the plant spirits in the upper Amazon is this very complex relationship. Um, because the way you learn the plants when you go out and do what they call the diet, uh, which means that you go out into the the jungle, you go out into the wilderness and you have no salt, no sugar, no sex, and you ingest the plant. And the plant teaches you through your body. And the relationship between the shaman and the plant spirits with, with whom he, he undertakes this diet in order to learn the plant's uses and uh, what its application is, and especially to learn its songs. Um, the relationship is one very much like love. As a matter of fact, there is often a sexual component to it. Um, there is a relationship of awe, of, um, of struggle, of love, uh, of fear, and there is this very complex, deeply personal relationship between the shaman and and the plant spirits. And in some ways, I think that's that's part of what you were talking about. That that we have to figure out how to get in back into into right relationship with the 
the spirits. And it seems to me, I was thinking about this, and I remembered um, one formulation of um, Kant's categorical imperative, which is that you should always treat people or persons, you should always treat persons as ends and not as means. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, Kant, the, 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 the ideal kingdom would be what he called the kingdom of ends, mm-hmm. where everyone was treated as an end and not as a means. And I think we, we owe exactly that respect to the spirits. And yet so often, what we do is we fall back on the pattern of treating the spirits as a, as a means to some other end, mm-hmm. to cure a sickness, to protect us from harm, um, to give us a gift, um, to validate us, to transform us, to give us an insight. Whereas what the spirits want, I think, just like people want, is to be treated as an end and not as a means. And what this really brings us to is intimacy, there, there, that it's an intimate relationship. And I think mm-hmm. it's a great challenge because we're not a terribly intimate culture these days. I think I love that word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it from now on. Okay. I, think that's, <laughs> I think that's exactly right. I think it is an intimate relationship. Um, and it varies in different cultures the way this is expressed. Like I said, in the upper Amazon, to my surprise, there is often a, a sexual component to this intimacy. Um, in other cultures, it's symbolized in, in different ways, and they use different metaphors. But I think intimacy is exactly the right word for it. Um, you know, let me give you an example. Um, I'm up on a mountain spur, and there's a, um, um, a lightning storm going on. And I start to pray. On the one hand, I can pray by saying, oh, protect me from the lightning. But I think it's a very different prayer when you say, I am afraid of the lightning. Mm -hmm. You can pray, um, protect me from sickness. Or you can say, I am afraid of not being able to care for my family. Mm-hmm. And I think the second one opens up an intimate dialogue. Because when you say something like, I am afraid, when you tell your story, then there is a response. When you make a demand, when you treat anyone, spirit or human, as a means rather than an end, then you don't listen for the response. You don't listen for the story in return. And so when we talk about praying to the spirits, I I think we talked about telling a story, which means saying what you need and and saying what you feel and talking about regret and talking about grief um, and weeping for your vision rather than making demands and treating the spirits or the sacred plants as if they were just some kind of medicine that you, you take that makes you feel better. Oh, we have a um, question from a listener, which is perfectly timed, where she's asking, can you give an example of what you mean by using the spirit world as an end, not a means? And I think you're sort of talking about that right now. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Um, 
So I know for me, like at a workshop, I've got all these rituals that need to happen and I'd ideally like them to happen outside and I'd ideally like to have a fire ritual that's not in a downpour, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And yet what I ask for is the weather that we need. I don't, mm-hmm. I, and, and really, I mean, I say, you know what, I'm trying to lead this group of people. This is what we're trying to do. And I don't have a clue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, well, help me and, and give us the weather that we need and I'll do my best to guide us into that. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, I have this idea of where we're going on this journey, but help me and give us the weather that we need. And I, and I'll respond to that because I don't, the end is that I, I want these people to be able to get to this place, but I don't know how to get them there. So help mm-hmm. me. Not give I, me a sunny day. <laughs> <laughs> give me a clear night. Don't rain on our parade. Yeah. Or, um, you could say, um, I I am afraid that these people who are depending on me will be disappointed and will not get where they want to go. Um because and because remember, you know, you know this, the the spirits meet you where you are. Mm-hmm. The 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 spirits um the spirits have plans. And they will open doors for you, and, and they will invite you to walk through these doors. Sometimes they will be on the, the other side with a two-by-four, but that's part of their purpose. Um, again, I'm having trouble articulating this. This is not a conversation I have had very frequently with, with anybody. Well, it's tricky, but it's kind of like if you meet them with dishonesty, the first thing they have to do is kind of knock you around to get you to be honest. So if you if you you can jump over that step by meeting them with the honesty that you're talking about, I so think then they right. don't have to get you there. With and so the know- more and more you can bear yourself from the get go, the easier it is to move towards the end. Even and and a piece of it for me is always recognizing I'm not all I I don't know. <laughs> Part of the vulnerable <laughs> piece for me is you know I get it I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't I, know everything. <laughs> I think that's I think that's very well put. Um, and I think it's it's part of what I'm struggling to articulate here because this is not something I really talk about all that much. Or when I do talk about it, I usually talk about it in writing, where I have the opportunity to sit and ponder and and, and phrase things felicitously. Um, well, and people sort of don't want to know this part. That's the part that annoys me. Um, I think people um, want. Um, we are all afraid. Um, we, we are all broken in so many ways. Um, we are all dependent, um, on so many things over which we have no control, um, that we try to seize control, even in the spirit world, by trying to tell the spirits what to do. Um, and I think that what the spirits, that's treating the spirits as, as a means to get what we want. Um, and I think we need to let the spirits meet us where we are and take us where they need us to be. And that's different for everybody. 
Um, but for everybody, it means being a better human being. One of the questions that you asked as we were talking about this was, you were saying one of the questions is, um, how do they teach? And um, I think I think we're talking about how they teach, and part of it is how we show up to be taught. It's one part mm-hmm. of it. But I do I do believe that they teach through intimacy. I mean, what is more intimate than consuming something mm-hmm. and metabolizing it? Doesn't get much more intimate than that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I may be speaking from my own chemistry days, but you know, um, low people, um, you know, and and I think that. We have to remember that that there's much of the shamanism that is is really built on versions of that experience of of literally becoming one with something mm-hmm. and opening up to how that transforms us and what comes in that transformed place, and then figuring out of course what the hell to do with that but uh-huh. but so what would you say then you know we're talking about so what do the spirits teach? teach, but also we're merging into how do they teach it? I think because we are Americans, uh, we want a teaching that is quick, we want a teaching that is easy, and we want a teaching that has a significant intellectual component. Uh, We want uh, the spirit's um, to give us um, something like we experienced once or twice in college. Uh, a popular saying, I'm not sure where this originated, I think it was on Nip Tuck, but I'm not sure, a popular saying about ayahuasca is that it's like 40 years of psychotherapy in one night. <laughs> and it seems to me that that captures everything that is wrong about how we deal with the spirits. Look at it. Um, it's, it's, we're passive and they do something to us that changes us. It's transformative. It's, it's, uh, it has a significant intellectual component. It consists of insights uh, like you get in, in psychoanalysis. And it's quick. 40 years in one night. Um, and, and, you know, the plants teach us, I think, in plant time, not in our time. Um, The plants teach us subtly. The plants teach us in silence. The plants teach us in snatches of song. The plants teach us in inchoate stirrings of the human heart. Um, We need to be patient. We need to sit quietly with the spirits. Um, and, and that's, you know, going back to the whole story thing. You know, you, you begin by telling your story. And you, you tell the spirits what you feel and what you need and what you fear and what you regret. And you pour out your heart to the spirits. And then you listen for what they say back. And then the process starts again, and, and there, there develops, I think, ideally, this kind of open-hearted communication with the spirits um, 
a kind of intimate open-hearted communication with the Spirit. And at some point, everything that you need to say has been said, and you are simply sitting quietly with the spirits. And it may be, maybe not for everybody, but it may be that it's sitting in that silence, it's sitting quietly with the stories told that the teaching takes place, that the changes in your heart occur. And this can be a process that goes on over time. I can't uh, say, well, there's a, um, I understand that uh, there is a video clip where I, uh, that you're going to be posting that where I tell the story of the vision fast and, and the man who was distraught because he hadn't seen a vision, because he had expected what I have come to call the pink neon buffalo coming over the horizon and, and enlightening him and transforming him. Um, whereas, in fact, the spirits had been talking to him all the time. Mm-hmm. They had been talking to him through a lizard under a creosote bush. They had been talking to him through bat guano on the floor of a cave. And that's how the spirits speak to us, through bat guano. If, if, we, if, if we are open to that. And, and I think what's important, and I think this is, this is the most significant thing about ayahuasca as a teacher, is that the spirits are here right now with us. Right now, the plants are singing their songs to us. Right now, the spirits are here wanting to be in an intimate Relation. I told you I was going to steal that. Wanting to be in an intimate relationship with us. Um, and I think that um, we already live in the magical forest. And all we have to do is open our hearts. You know, there's. I'm, I'm recalling this this story. I'm going to actually steal from my partner here. Um, I'll have to make up to him later. Uh, but we were doing a workshop at a wonderful conference up in BC, uh, in Canada, uh, in May, and we were doing a workshop with Tom Cowan, and he was talking about the Great Song, which. I was just reminded of because you were talking about the plants are singing to us right now. It's everything singing right now. Mm-hmm. This great song is manifesting reality right now. And we were um, – anyway, my partner went to Libya actually. That was kind of the assignment and asked the land there what it wanted. And the land wanted to someone to sing the song of a future when things were in harmony. Mm-hmm. And my partner, being the humble and beautiful man that he is, he says, I don't know that song. (laughs) (laughs) And the spirit said, yes, you do. And they took him back to a memory when he was climbing in the ice and snow on a mountain in Oregon and bivouacked into a ditch he dug for himself and the wind was whistling around and he, he, he was in that silent place within himself just listening to the stars turning and the stones and the snow and the wind and life singing. And he goes, Oh, that song. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And, and, and he said, you're right. I know that song. And so he just allowed the memory to pour the song out, you know, from the past to the future, which is what the spirits of that land there had asked for. It was the most powerful experience, you know, shamanically really that he had had. And, and, 
that whole idea of if someone says, you know, do you know the song? And we would say, well, no. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And they are in all of those intimate moments of our life, be they strapped in a sack on the side of a mountain or with a child. Any of these intimate moments with nature, with people, with spirits, in our dreams, whatever, these are those moments we are in that song. And I believe that this is what spirit is trying to teach us. Somehow, some way, <laughs> in spite I, I, of us. I, that is such a beautiful experience. That is a wonderful experience. What a blessing that was. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a wonderful experience. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a perfect example of, of the kind of thing we're, we're talking about. Um, people, um, people talk about the commodification uh, ceremony or the commodification of the, the plants or the plant spirits. Um, and, and, you know, that's an issue, but I think, um, just as important, perhaps even more important is, I guess what we call the instrumental instrumentalization of the plants, seeing them as instruments, seeing them as means to other ends. Um, when I hear that, you know, ayahuasca, uh, or Iboga cures addictions. I, I don't know whether they do or not. Um, but whether or not they do, I'm not sure that's just what they're for. Um, I think the importance of the sacred plants, and we're talking about Iboga, and we're talking about Ayahuasca, and we're talking about the Teonomaki, Peyote. I think we're talking about teachers who want to teach us lessons about how to be better human beings. I was thinking about that this morning and I was realizing, you know, there's some people that think being a, uh, the best human being is to have all the toys at the end. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have heard that. And so part of it is also recognizing there's another definition of being a better human being. And for me, I was thinking about when, so if I had to argue this, you know, at the bar tonight, you know, what would that argument be with Billy Bob? And I decided, you know, the, the argument is really ultimately about sustainability. You know, the, 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 the having the idea of being the best human, being the person with the most toys wins, isn't a sustainable system. <laughs> and, That's true. You know, I was a hard scientist. I studied chemistry. It didn't really take a lot of extra thought to recognize we can't, you know, it, it's a closed system. And we can't just use up all the stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, hello, people, wake up. I mean, it's really obvious without any, you know, too hardcore science. It's obvious that this time when the plants and the people and the animals could all talk to each other was a time when people were living, everybody was living sustainably. Now, it, it, like an ecosystem, you know, it rises and falls and evolves over time. You get too many you know, antelope and not enough predators and they eat all the plants and then the antelope die off because there's any food. And, I mean, like it cycles, but it's not about being perfect, but it's about moving in a balance where everything recognizes its interconnection with everything else. And, and I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was we're just going to say, the man really who wants excited. to have, yeah, you know, who wants to have all the toys doesn't realize that means seven generations from now, your own descendants will have nothing. 
Like they don't get that piece. I think somehow, I think the word balance is the right one here because, um, as you know, I just had knee surgery. Mm-hmm. And what the guy did is he, he, he stuck these tiny little tubes into my knee through two little, three little holes in my knee, and he stuck them in, and he had a camera so he could see what he was doing. And using this tiny little instrument, he cleaned out the inside of my knee, which was filled with a torn meniscus and, and pieces of cartilage and um, the stuff that accumulates in your knee after 67 years of abusing your body. And um, here I am now. 10, 11 days later, I'm walking around. I'm fine. I, I just, I, uh, um, the pain is, is all gone. I'm not feeling the pain that I felt before. I think that's wonderful. I think that is, is an important accomplishment. I think the fact that people in our culture in their 70s and 80s still have all their teeth is a wonderful accomplishment. <laughs> yes. And, um, and, and you could go down the list. And somehow we have got to find a way, I think, to have the discernment um, to keep the things that make people's lives better. Um, and at the same time, achieve the kind of sustainability you're talking about. I don't think we can go backwards. I think we need to go forwards into a future where we are smart enough, where we are discerning enough to be able to use the good things that our culture has developed in a way that that is truly helpful for people um, and um, at the same time allows us to be closer to the spirits and, and to live the kind of life that puts us in this intimate relationship with the with the, the animals and the plants and the trees and the stars and thunder, that is the, the myth time. And you are just describing one of my great frustrations with being a contemporary practitioner, which is that I believe fully that it is through our relationship with spirit that we come up with that, you know, that we discern what's the baby and what's the bathwater, you know, <laughs> that we that we can discern how do we keep what is good and go forward in a way that has that balance. And I don't believe we are here to keep doing the same ritual some ancient people did a gajillion years ago if that doesn't serve the time. I mean, I think the reason shamanism truly still exists on the planet is because it's always asking the questions for today. It's not trying to maintain um, a particular religious dogma. It's about life, an intimacy of life, and what what is the flourishing of all life today? What does that look like? How do we do that? And that going to spirit again and again with those questions to make that discernment for the time that you're in. It's not. I don't think it's about going backwards. And I get very frustrated um, with that and, and my other contemporary practitioners because I have no desire to go backwards. I love hot running water. <laughs> I mean, yes. some of my favorite things in every single day involve instantaneous hot running water. My day would be much less pleasurable if I had to go build a freaking fire and drag that water from a well or, frankly, had no clean water anywhere near me, much less hot. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't want to go back. 
Well, I, I think also don't want to go I, forward into a time when all the water's radioactive and there's nothing to drink either. Putting on my anthropologist hat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fine hat. <laughs> <laughs> rather than my preaching hat that I've been wearing throughout this conversation, putting on my anthropologist hat. You're absolutely right. Because I don't think there has ever been such a thing as a an unchanging shamanic culture anywhere in the world. I think that um, it is a peculiar affectation of Europeans that um, indigenous peoples have no history. Uh, of course they have a history, but mm-hmm. to the European explorers and conquerors, um, the Europeans were so much more sophisticated because they had a history, and they needed for their own good to to uh, take charge of these innocent indigenous or wicked and savage indigenous people, um, and 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 uh, uh, take care of them because they were innocent and and without history. Yet, in fact, indigenous cultures have always met and interacted and traded and talked about ceremonies. When when shamans from different cultures get together, what do they talk about? They talk about, you know, drum skins. Um, they, they exchange information. They, they tell each other about what plants work and don't work or how you deal with clients who refuse to pay or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, but Throughout history, um, indigenous people and and shamans have interacted and changed and learned and adopted and adapted. Um, I, I, I don't think it makes any sense to think about any shamanic tradition as having existed for, what, tens of thousands of years without changing? That's just not the way humans behave. No, not remotely. So now... We had this whole other plan, which clearly we've run out of time to even bother to get into. But what I would like to talk about here for a moment, because I think we have an incredible potential right now in our lives, and we're talking about let's do shamanism now in our lives. We have all of these young people, 20s, maybe early 30s, that have a a relative to when we came up, (laughs) huge access to plant spirits. I mean... the amount of plant activity these kids have already gotten into before they see a shaman <laughs> is astounding to me. Yes, that is certainly true. <laughs> and, and yet, this is also the culture of entitlement. And there's something that's, there's a disconnect that's happening. In spite of all of the accessibility, I feel like there's still a disconnect. I mean, it seems to be a new, a brand new version of uh, the plants as a means, the spirits as a means, mm-hmm. and that I deserve entitlement now. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to work for it. I should be able to just do enough of this exotic plant spirit from wherever and get it today. And and have, you know, trippy experiences. And, and, yeah, so do uh, me now. You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> just, this, this comes back, you know, this is a discussion that, that comes up a lot because I, I think it's true and it's relevant and it's important. And, and I come back to this idea that the, um, the spirits meet people where they are. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely in no position to judge anybody else's path because I have enough trouble just trying to figure out what my own path is and then even more trouble trying to stay on it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I, I can't tell the future. I don't know which of these young people who goes down to uh, the Amazon and drinks ayahuasca because he thinks it's cool and neat and transgressive and he'll have stories to tell. I don't know which one of them will be touched by the spirits. Mm -hmm. I don't know which one of them will say, whoa, there is something going on here, and Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. Um, I don't know which one of them may, on the basis of that experience, begin to walk the path of humility and gratitude toward the spirits. Um, So if we could tell them three things to take with them to wherever they're going this weekend, (laughs) (laughs) have their whatever, wherever, what would we tell them to, 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 to stack the deck on spirit's side? I would tell them just one thing. Okay. I would say have no expectations. I would That's say, so hard when you're 24. It, <laughs> it's hard when you're 67. <laughs> um, I, um, you know, you go down there, and again, this is this whole question of, of means and ends, and they see the spirits as, as means to have this, you know, either a transformative experience or a trippy experience or something that's transgressive that they can brag about, about how, you know, tough they are, that how much they threw up. I think that the... Um, how, what's what's important is to open your heart to the plant spirits, to open your heart to the spirits, to open your heart to La Diosa, to open your heart to, to ayahuasca, um, and to not to berate yourself or blame yourself if your experience is not what you were led to believe it was supposed to be. Not to expect the spirits to, to transform you instantaneously. Um, not to expect 40 years of psychotherapy in, in one evening. But to open the, yourself to the plants, to open your heart with humility and gratitude for whatever comes. And, and make yourself worthy of the gifts that the spirits want to give you. And if, like I said, if it was just one thing I would say, I would say, eliminate everything you've read or been told, go with no expectations but an open heart, and see what happens. Um, Because something will happen, and it may not happen right then. It may happen a year down the road where you find yourself different in deeply important ways that you never anticipated. And... That would be an old man's advice. So our, our collective advice for, for all of you going off next weekend to go do your plant hallucinogens <laughs> is uh, release all expectations and risk intimacy. Yes, exactly. I, we, we just have a lot of fun. And, and would you believe that we have never met face to face? This is, we'll have to fix that at some point. <laughs> yes. But thank you so much for joining me again today. Um, and for those of you that don't actually know how to locate Stephen on the internet in cyberspace, it's singingtotheplants.com. And um, I just, I can't thank you enough for being on the show and continuing this conversation of trying to help all of us contemporary people understand what it means to be in relationship with spirit. So I thank you. It's my pleasure, always.
And I give thanks to the ancestors for gathering around us here today for the earth below, the sky above, and the heart energy that unites us all. May you all have a great week. Thank you.